1: What I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast Whenever you say something, other people react to it Taking my breath away, Aaron Fern Lundquist joins me Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone Here Welcome back the episode 7, hey. seven eight, hey. to the podcast and the Air sports podcast it is wednesday october 11th 2023 people i hope everybody's doing well i hope everybody enjoyed that tuesday bonus episode and when i tell you we got a jam-packed wednesday episode of the aaron pod it is so loaded i don't even know how we're gonna fit it all into one show but i'm gonna do it because that's what i do here's what you need to know okay so we're gonna open did you see what pj fleck said about the Michigan Wolverines, called them the best college football team he has ever seen. I will talk about those comments, but more specifically, in a year where everybody keeps telling me there's no separation at the top of college football, is it possible Michigan is the best team in the sport and we're just not talking about them enough? From there, quick break. Remember last Wednesday, we started previewing the weekend ahead. We're going to do it again. We're going to preview Oregon and Washington Notre Dame, USC. I'm giving you my picks. We'll do the rest of the weekend preview on Friday's show, but I can't wait till Friday to talk about these two big games. Speaking of can't wait to talk. Did you see what Mark Stoops said on Monday night? Oh, boy, oh, boy, do we have a topic for today's show. Mark Stoops calling out Georgia, calling out NIL, calling out his fan base, and frankly, calling out his locker room, and I did not like it. You know what I do like, though? Legal sports betting. Has come to the beautiful state of Kentucky and the Aaron Torres Pod has partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And here is the cool part DraftKings with an incredible special offer for listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod. This is what you got to do. This is what you need to know. New customers of DraftKings, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, bet $5 on any game football, college, baseball, basketball, whatever you want to bet on, bet $5 and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly. When you use the code Torres, that's all you got to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, bet $5 on any game, and new customers get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code Torres. Thank you to DraftKings. So fired up to be working with them. So fired up for legal sports betting. By the way, that that uh, offer does not just apply to the state of Kentucky. Anywhere where there is legal sports betting, if you are a first-time customer, download the app, use code Torres, bet 5 200 in bonus bets instantly. With that said, there is no more time to waste and let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day. So it's really interesting, right? On Monday, if you listen closely on Monday's Aaron Torres pot, I led the show by saying, we're going to talk Red River and Bama A&M and Mario Cristobal. And I said, and I think I want to talk about Michigan because I think they might be the best team in all of college football. But then the show got busy, too much going on, too much to discuss, whatever. And so because of it, I kind of pushed it to the back burner. And I didn't know if I was going to talk about it. I didn't know if I was going to discuss it. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, am I glad I waited. And here is why. It is because after Michigan's game on Saturday, the team that they played, Minnesota, the head coach is P.J. Fleck. He had some very interesting things to say about the Michigan Wolverines. And it's interesting because I watched that game. That was one of the few picks that I got right last week. Michigan destroyed a good Minnesota team. The final score was 52 to 10. And it was just another dominant effort from the Michigan Wolverines in a season full of them. And I remember thinking as I was watching that game, I kept thinking to myself, I said, wait a second now. We keep hearing that there is no dominant team in college football this year. There's no gap at the top that you could make an argument for five, six, seven, eight teams at the top of this sport, whether it's uh, Georgia, Washington, Oregon, Florida State, Texas, Oklahoma, whoever. Are we overlooking Michigan? And is it possible that in a year where everybody says there's no gap at the top, that Michigan is by far the best team in college football? So I was thinking about that coming out of Saturday. and then. I saw what P.J. Fleck, the head coach at Minnesota, said following the loss to Michigan on Saturday. Listen to what P.J. Fleck had to say, okay? This is his quote following the game. He said they are as good as advertised. I said this on radio a second ago. I think they're the best football team I've ever seen in 11 years of being a head coach. I've never seen a football team like that that deep. I'm not sure if this is true, but I was told this walking off the field. I think they traveled 75 people and maybe 74 of them played. I don't know. I mean, they're one of the deepest teams, one of the best teams, one of the biggest teams, one of the fastest teams, strongest teams, and they do not make mistakes. They truly are like a boa constrictor and they do not beat themselves. Hello. Okay. So I just thought they were the best team in college football this year. But P.J. Fleck says they might be the best college football team he has ever seen. And keep in mind, P.J. Fleck has been a head coach for 11 years. A lot of people brought it up this week. He, at Western Michigan, faced a Michigan State team that made the college football playoff in 2015. He faced a Ohio State team in 2015 coming off a national title that had Zeke Elliott, Joey Bosa, Michael Thomas, Braxton Miller, etc., He has seen some of these Michigan and Ohio state teams that have made the college football playoff. And he just said they might be the best team he has ever seen. Now, are they, I don't know, but to me, I do think it goes back to a very simple question in a year where we keep saying there's no separation. at The top is Michigan the best team in college football. And I think they might be now. I don't think it's a huge gap. I think if you put them on a field with Oklahoma and Oregon and whomever, Georgia certainly, it'd be a very interesting conversation and an interesting game. But if you're asking me today, who is the best team in college football? I believe the answer is the Michigan Wolverines. And it's interesting because the big argument against Michigan is actually completely understandable. Like sometimes fans, they do the whole "well they haven't played anybody" and but like like fans, they're they're always about two things. That team hasn't played anybody and the refs cost us that game. If I have to hear one more rant about how bad the refs are, like like I'm over it, okay? But I bring it up because in the case of Michigan, any fan saying I can't take them seriously because they haven't played anybody, it's hard for me to argue with you. Their schedule so far at Michigan, East Carolina, UNLV, uh, Bowling Green, Nebraska, Minnesota, okay? Uh, Rutgers as well, by the way. Rutgers is probably the best team they've played, believe it or not. But I bring it up. I get that they have not played elite teams, but I do think it is worth noting something and it's something I say all the time. Bad, Good teams lose to bad teams all the time in college football. It happens all the time and I will never criticize a good team for beating a team the way that they're supposed to. And the thing about Michigan, they haven't just beaten teams. They have destroyed every single team that they have Played. I want to read you the results of their games that they have played. Final scores: East Carolina thirty to three, UNLV thirty-five to seven, Bowling Green thirty-one to six, Rutgers thirty-one to seven, Nebraska forty-five to seven, and then Minnesota fifty-two to ten. That fifty-two to ten final score, when PJ Flex said that that was the best team he's ever seen. Minnesota scored more on on Michigan than any team this year. And that's what stands out to me. They are great on offense. They are great on defense. Top 20 nationally in scoring, 37 points per game. And how about this? The number one scoring defense by a wide margin. They are currently, they've given up 40 points total the entire season. That is an average of six and a half points per game this year. And so I'll just give you a little bit of context there, just, just to kind of explain just how crazy that stat is, okay? Michigan has given up 40 points total all year. Colorado, and you know I love Coach Prime, has given up 40 in three separate games. And so again, I know the competition isn't great, but it is worth noting, the competition isn't quite as bad as you think. I mentioned it a minute ago. You know Rutgers is a top 20, is a top 15 defense in all of college football? You understand that they're giving up 14 and a half points per game. You understand that against Michigan, they gave up double that point total and they gave up over 415 yards of total offense. How about this for a stat? Nebraska coming into the Michigan game, they were the number two rush defense in all of college football. After six games, right now, Nebraska, this is an unbelievable stat Nebraska on the season after six games, has given up a total of 455 yards in six games. Over half of those yards were given up to Michigan, 249 yards for Michigan. They have given up less than 250 yards to all other teams in college football. Michigan has literally doubled the rushing totals of Nebraska's five other opponents. We're talking about an elite run defense that Michigan averaged five yards per carry, 249 yards. By the way, uh, Minnesota last week, same deal. Minnesota, the defense has historically been very good. That defense, Michigan just did what they wanted against and absolutely dominated. And so I understand that they haven't played anybody. I understand that the competition could be better, will be better going forward, but you can only play who you're scheduled and they have dominated everybody. Beyond that, you know what I think stands out to me the most is that they've dominated and I don't think they, they're anything close to their peak, okay? And what I really see from this team, and we know Jim Harbaugh has the NFL background, Jim Harbaugh, it feels to me, and I know he was out for three games, it feels to me like he is using the, the, the front half of the schedule, probably the first eight games of the season, basically as the preseason like you would in the NFL. Try things out, figure things out, see what happens, okay? Why is that? Well, J.J. McCarthy really hasn't been pushed. Those two wins over Nebraska and uh, Minnesota, he's averaged 18 throws per game. It's not like they're asking him to throw the ball 35 times per game. I thought it was interesting. Blake Corum, one of the best running backs in all of college football last year, his numbers are down significantly. And Jim Harbaugh basically talked about like, yeah, like I don't want to overuse him. He's got an NFL future to think about Donovan Edwards. It's the same thing. So they have given more ba- they've given more touches to more backs. The Mullings kid has 23 touches, JJ McCarthy has run the ball, Leon Franklin has run the ball. Um and this is not a team that feels like they are trying to blow you out or trying to embarrass you. I would add people are saying, "Oh, you know, the 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 pass uh, uh, the the pass rush isn't as good as it's been in years past." Is the pass rush not as good or is Michigan just not trying to get super exotic? because through six games, they have just 14 sacks. But what stands out to me about that stat is that they have nine different guys who have registered at least one sack. So I don't know that they their pass rush isn't as good as much as I just think that they're just trying to use bodies and get bodies in and rotate people and get people reps for later in the year. And so I look at this team, and again, I understand the schedule. It's not uh, what I don't know. LSU's played a tough schedule, Florida State plus three SEC road games. It's not what Bama's faced going to Texas A&M and Texas at home. It's not Texas facing Oklahoma on a neutral and Alabama on the road, but you can only play who's on your schedule. And I really do believe that Michigan is that good. Now, do I believe that they would be like a two touchdown favorite against everybody in college football? No, I think they are the best team that I have seen But I I don't think they're like significantly better than Florida State. You know, Penn State has been playing really well. Certainly Texas, Alabama, Georgia, whatever. The only sad part that I can really add, we're not going to find out just how good this team is for a while. This team, how about this? They've played six games, three Big Ten games, Rutgers at home, at Nebraska, at Minnesota. Next three games. Uh, it is, uh, who is it? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I know it off the top of my head. It is Indiana this week. Okay. Snooze, uh, at Michigan state W probably by a million if they want to. And then after that, they have a buy and Purdue. And so that's the disappointing part is you're going into the middle of October. You've played, you know, Rutgers is probably the best team you've played. You're playing a two and three Indiana squad this weekend, a two and three Michigan state squad next weekend, a bye, and then a two and four Purdue squad before the schedule gets tough. Final three games. That's where it gets interesting at Penn state at Maryland. And remember Maryland just gave Ohio state fits last week. And then of course, Ohio state at home to close the year. So we will find out it's going to be a few more weeks, but I am just here to say, I saw the PJ Fleck quote. And I don't think it's crazy. This is the best team in college football I have seen. And I want to give flowers to my main man, Jim Harbaugh. All right, so what I'm going to do, take a quick break. Come back. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the week seven college football slate. We're going to preview Oregon State-Washington. We're going to preview Notre Dame-USC. And uh, we'll preview those two games. Obviously, the rest of the preview will be later in the week. Quick break. Be right. All right, everybody, I'm back. going to be back, good to be back. I do want to switch gears. Uh, and it's funny, if, if, if you listened to last Wednesday's Aaron Torres pot, you may have heard a little bit of a major announcement on this show. Broke the internet, huge story. I know everybody was talking about it come Thursday. But we decided last Wednesday, <laughs> and by the way, it wasn't a major announcement at all, but this is what we decided last week is that I kind of made the decision. It it, it felt like when I started doing this show, Friday was just reserved. You're going to preview the weekend ahead in college football. But what I have found through the years is that the news cycle moves so fast now that it feels like a Saturday in college football happens. You have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday to react to it. And then by Tuesday, Wednesday, people are on to the next week of college football. And so historically, I'd waited till Friday to preview the games. But what I decided to do last week is really take those two or three super marquee games and preview them on the Wednesday episode of the show. So last week we did Kentucky, Georgia, Texas A&M, Alabama. On the Wednesday show, we previewed Red River and everything else on Friday. Going forward, I think we're going to do that. Probably pick the two or three marquee games from the weekend. Talk about them on Wednesday. And so on today's show, we are going to hit on the two big ones that I believe are the, the marquee games this coming Saturday. Oregon at Washington, top 10 matchup in Seattle, and of course, USC traveling to Notre Dame to take on the Fighting Irish. Let's start with that Oregon-Washington matchup, top 10 matchup, and a couple things stand out just thinking about this game. One, for so long, the Pac-12 has taken so much heat, so much beating, so much this, so much that. It's just cool to see a top 10 matchup between two programs that it seems like everybody respects, and I think everybody believes are good enough to win this game and make a run towards a Pac-12 title, a college football playoff berth, and maybe make a run still even if they lose this game. Beyond that, what I also think is pretty cool, we're getting these two teams off a of bye. And I understand that once a football season starts, you're never going to be at 100%. But for a matchup this big, with as much at stake as it is, it's cool to know that we're going to get something close to 100% of both of these teams, which is exactly going the case going into this game should mention Washington had two of its star receivers banged up going into the bye. Both are fine, ready to go, 100% coming into this one. So exciting game, fun game, 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 Pacific. Washington is a three-point favorite. The over-under set at 67 points, and it's with good reason. Both these offenses are awesome. And really, if I had to describe these two teams in in, in one, one or two sentences, what I would say is this. I believe Washington is as good at any one thing as anybody is in college football. And at the same time, I believe that Oregon is right up there in the short conversation, maybe with Michigan, maybe with Georgia, maybe with Florida State, as the most complete teams in college football. Oklahoma's maybe in that conversation, whatever. So let's start by breaking it down. And when it comes to Washington, you don't need me to tell you, okay? They are unbelievable passing the football. Number one total offense in college football, about 569 yards per game. And that is because they throw the ball more and more successfully than anybody in the sport. They are averaging 446 pass yards per game. That is insane. Okay. So let me give you a little context here. Washington is number one in the country in passing. The number two pass offense is actually Washington state, ironically enough, which passes it about 70 yards per game, fewer than Washington. So take the best pass offense you've seen anywhere in college football this year. Jaden Daniels, LSU, Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma, Caleb Williams, USC. Washington is throwing for 70 yards per game more than any team in college football, but they also run the ball less than anybody in college football as well. So it's kind of that old school Mike Leach, you know, we're not even going to try to pretend to do anything other than pass the football. Oregon is interesting from this perspective. They are number two in total offense in all of college football. So we have the top two offenses in college football, but Oregon is much more balanced with a top 10 run offense and a top 10 pass offense going into this game. Beyond that, and I think this is important, they're really good everywhere. They get after the quarterback. They're the top 25 nationally in sacks per game. They are in the top 20 nationally in turnover margin per game. They are in the top 10 in total defense per game. So you look at this team, run the ball, pass the ball, don't turn the ball over, get after the quarterback, can stop the run. They do everything at a pretty high level. And so when I start to break down this game, I think that's ultimately the question, right? We know what Washington wants to do. The question is, can they do it at the level that they've done it against everybody else? And I'll be blunt. I think it's going to be a challenge for Washington. Not that they're not going to be able to throw the ball. They will be able to. But against this Oregon defense, this is by far the best pass defense that they've seen all year, okay? So coming into this game, Oregon has, how about this? They have the number six, I believe. I want to make sure I have this accurate. The number five pass defense in all of college football. Okay. Top five nationally. Here are the rankings of the teams that Washington has played so far. They have played Boise. Boise is ranked 125th nationally in pass defense. Tulsa is ranked 120th nationally in pass defense. Michigan State, 69th nationally in pass defense. Cal, 117th nationally in pass defense. Arizona, 87 nationally in pass defense. So keep that in mind when you think about this game. There are 133 teams in FBS college football, okay? So the top half of that is about the top 60 or so, 65 or so. They have not faced, Washington has not faced a top half of college football pass defense. They are facing the number five pass defense in college football this weekend. Now, if you want to argue that part of the reason all those teams are ranked so low is because they faced Washington, that's fine. It doesn't change the fact that this is going to be the biggest test of the season for Washington. And then from the Oregon perspective, I think their balance is what I like going into this game because Washington, we know what they want to do. They want to throw the football. They don't run the football and bluntly, they don't play very good defense. They're okay defensively, 64th nationally, but here's my big concern. 46 nationally against the run. That might be good enough. 93rd nationally against the pass. And I just told you who their opponents were, okay? Arizona, Cal, Michigan State, Tulsa, Boise. None of those are elite pass offenses. So now you're going up against an Oregon team with Bo Nix that can run the football. You can't load the box, but at the same time, you can't drop back into coverage either because they're so balanced. And beyond that, Oregon is very similar to Washington in the perspective that they have multiple guys that can beat you. That was one thing Dan Lanning talked about going into this game at his Monday press conference. He said when it comes to Washington, usually when you you plan for a team, there's one or two guys that you feel like if you could take that guy out of the game, you have a good chance to win. Well, with Washington, they have three or four. And with Oregon, how about this? They have, I believe the stat is seven different receivers that have at least 10 catches this year. So they distribute the ball, they run the ball, and most importantly, they play defense. And so if you're asking me who I'm picking in this game, I know they're going on the road. I know it's going to be a challenge, but I like Oregon to win this game outright in Seattle. A couple last thoughts on this one before we move on to USC Notre Dame. One, keep an eye on the weather, okay? As of right now, it's supposed to be in the 60s, it's supposed to be a little bit drizzly, not pouring rain, but that certainly isn't advantageous for a team that throws the ball as much as Washington does. Second thing I can't help with think about with Washington, the last six halves of football, they have not been great. Okay, so if you remember going into the bye, they played Arizona, they win by a touchdown. But keep in mind the game before that against Cal. Okay, everybody remembers that they destroyed Cal. But in the second half of that game, they were actually outscored by Cal 20 to 14. Now, it didn't end up mattering because they were up by so much at halftime but they've really played about six straight halves or six straight quarters, three straight halves of good but not great football. Again, I'm rolling with Oregon. I'll say final score 30, I'll say 38-34. Oregon beats Washington at Washington. By the way, that's a very similar score to the game in Eugene last year that Oregon lost when Bo Nix got hurt late in the game. Give me Oregon to win the game outright. All right, let's get to the other big game on Saturday. Really interesting matchup, Saturday night in South Bend. We are, of course, talking about the USC Trojans traveling to take on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, I think you know about this one. It's a big rivalry. A lot is at stake. Uh, As I record here, the spread on this game is Notre Dame is about a three-point favorite, Two and a half, three point favorite, depending on, uh, you know, in the DraftKings sports book, it is a two and a half point difference. The over under set at 62 and a half. What's interesting about this game, I find this fascinating. I find this fascinating is think about this game going in. Uh, uh, Notre Dame is coming off three straight, really, really tough, really physical games. And they are coming off a game where they got beat up and embarrassed by the Louisville Cardinals last Saturday. USC, meanwhile, they come in six and zero. they come in off an emotional win. But that win felt like a loss to the Arizona Wildcats because of the manner in which it happened. And when I think about that game, I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing. I was thinking about this. Think about the, the, the Arizona USC game. It was a game that USC won, but felt like a loss. But think about how it happened. Everybody wants to credit Caleb Williams, but he also played his worst game, but he also saved him when it matters. And everybody wants to blame the defense, but the defense was actually pretty good for large chunks of that game. And so it was funny, right? Because after the game, Lincoln Riley actually went to the podium and he said, look, the defense won us this game. And everybody mocked him. Everybody laughed at him. Everybody made fun of him. Everybody made their jokes on social media. I think he was actually right. I looked it up just because I was curious because I I was hosting radio during that game. So I saw Arizona go up three, nothing, 10, nothing, 17, nothing. And Arizona scored 17 points on their first three possessions, their final eight possessions of the game. Arizona scored just 10 points total. And I actually thought that USC defense played well enough. Now, it also doesn't change the fact that over the course of the game, USC's defense was not good. They did give up over 500 yards. And that is after a game in which they gave up 500 plus yards to Colorado, closer to 600 yards. I believe the total was 568 yards per game. So this USC defense is clearly struggling. I tried to tell you, I get a lot of stuff wrong, but I tried to tell you guys. Like, everyone's like, oh, they, they figured it out. It's like, no, they played Nevada in week one, who was the, one of the worst teams in college football. They played Stanford in week two, who is probably the worst team in the Pac-12. They are an 11-point underdog this week against Colorado. And I just said, I, I don't think the defense is fixed, and it has proven itself out. As coming into this game, they are ranked, are you ready for this? Trojans fans, cover your ears. USC is ranked, I believe it's 90 for 112th nationally in total defense. This was the team that everybody told me was fixed coming into to, to about two weeks ago. They're now 112th defense in total defense in all of college football. Only Stanford and Colorado are worse in the Pac-12. From the Notre Dame perspective, you know, listen, they're coming off three really big emotional games, right? Two weeks ago, it was Ohio State, or three weeks ago, excuse me, it was Ohio State. Then it was at Duke, a last-second win. Then they just got beat up by Louisville last week. And it's funny, right? Because And I might have talked about this on Monday's show, Monday's Aaron Torres Pod. But coming out of that game, it was like, I don't really know what to make of Notre Dame because I don't think you can blame Marcus Freeman when your offense is, you know, Marcus Freeman is a defensive coach, but but... The offense turned the ball over five times and had 44 yards on the ground rushing. This is a team that even after that game is still one of the best rushing offenses in all of college football, or at least relatively speaking, they're averaging 171 yards per game on the ground. They had no trouble running the ball against a good Ohio state team, had no trouble running the ball against a good Duke defense, and they got completely shut out against a very good Louisville defense. And I think that maybe more than anything was my takeaway from that Louisville game. Louisville we talk about Jeff Brown we talk about the pass offense that defense and especially the run defense is really 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 good that is a top 20 group nationally and so when I look at this game I'll be blunt back at home I expect Notre Dame to be much better and I expect Notre Dame to be able to move the ball on the ground and ultimately that is one thing that you have to do to beat USC right I mean it goes without saying you don't need me to tell you Um, you look at USC, you look at Lincoln Riley, you look at the quarterbacks. If you can run the football, keep those guys off of the field. That is only going to benefit you over the course of a game. The best way to neutralize Caleb Williams is by keeping him off the field. That is something that Arizona actually did a very good job of last week. They had over 200 yards rushing again, kept Caleb Williams off the field. And I really think that's something Notre Dame will be able to do. And when I look at this game, It comes down to two things. Can Notre Dame run the ball better than they they did? And can Notre Dame protect or or defend the pass better than they, not really better, but can they protect the pass basically against the Caleb Williams coach, uh, Caleb Williams led offense? And the answer is through seven games, they actually do both things very well. And it's interesting because one, the run offense, as I said, is averaging 171 yards per game, even after only having 44 yards last week. But then, Did you know Notre Dame has the number three pass defense in all of college football? And by the way, they're through more than half of their season. Remember, they played in week zero. They have not had their bye yet. They actually have two byes before the end of the season. They are number three in pass defense, and it's not like they haven't played people. Played Kyle McCord in the Ohio State offense with Marvin Harrison and Mecca Buka. They played a future first rounder in Riley Leonard uh, and that Duke offense. And last week, they faced a very good pass offense from Jeff Brom. So when I look at this game, I'll be blunt. I like Notre Dame because to me, this is a classic styles make fights game. First of all, night game, South Bend, all that good stuff. But two, this is a game where everything benefits Notre Dame from a matchup perspective. I want to look up one thing really quick, excuse me here, but um, sorry. I was looking up the weather, which by the way, is not supposed to be good 55 and raining. So that's something else to keep in mind. But beyond that, again, it goes back to what I said a minute ago. USC is not good defensively, and they're especially not good against the run. They rank 91st nationally. They're giving up 157 yards per game. Notre Dame runs the ball very well. They need to run the ball to take something off of Sam Hartman's plate. That that was what felt like the issue a few days ago is that if Sam Hartman, it just felt like that guy had to make play after play after play because they couldn't run the football, have balance. I think they'll have it against USC. And then again, can you, can you stop the pass, which is something I think they do, especially if the weather is not very good. So ultimately this game might be low. It might be sloppy. It might be low scoring, but give me Notre Dame to win outright. I will say they they hold that USC defense in check, USC offense in check. I think they win somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty one twenty seven. I like them to win. I like them to cover. I like USC to get the vi- or I like Notre Dame, excuse me, to get the victory. All right, so what I just want to do take a quick break. Come back when we come back, we're going to wrap. Mark Stoops, did you hear what my boy Mark Stoops said? He came after Kirby Smart and after the Georgia football program. We'll take a quick break. Talk about that. That's next.
0: To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. All
1: right, everybody, I'm back. Good to be back, good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with some very, 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 very interesting comments from Kentucky football coach Mark Stoops. And by now, I think most people have probably seen the quotes, seen the headlines, you know a little bit of the backstory. This has been in the news cycle for about 24 hours by the time I'm talking about this, maybe even longer by the time you're listening. But at the same time, it was such a juicy quote. It was so fascinating. And I think, frankly, that Mark Stoops looks so bad that I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about this a little bit. And so by now, again, I think everybody kind of knows the backstory, but it centers on Saturday night in Athens, Georgia. Kentucky is in the midst of another really good season, came into Saturday 5-0, traveled to face the Georgia Bulldogs, the number one team in the country. Georgia's operating at a really high level, but I think even Georgia fans would admit they haven't been perfect. They need to work on some stuff. Whatever. Kentucky comes in the game as a 14 and a half point underdog. You think, okay, Kentucky could probably keep it close. Ah, uh, yeah. No. Final score, Georgia 51, Kentucky 13. And it wasn't just that Kentucky lost the game. It was the manner in which it happened. It wasn't just that Georgia had better players. It was that Kentucky came in looking unprepared. Uh, uh, There were penalties. There were turnovers. And oh, by the way, let's be honest. Mark Stoops didn't have his best moment late in the half with some play calling, with some clock management stuff. It gave Georgia extra points and extra momentum going into halftime. And the game was essentially over. Anyway, coming out of the game, Kentucky fans were a little bit frustrated, by the way, I think rightly so. I myself am a fan. I understand what it's like coming off of a loss where you thought you had a chance against a good team and you get destroyed. And so Mark Stoops was asked about it after the game. And he was asked about it more specifically on his Monday call-in radio show. And so Mark Stoops was kind of asked about the fan reaction and what do you make of it and all that good stuff. And here is what Mark Stoops had to say. He said, quote, Fans have the right to complain. I give it to them. I just encourage them to donate more because that's what those dudes are doing. I can promise you, Georgia, they bought some pretty good players. You're allowed to do that these days. We could use some help. Let me say this. I don't know where those quotes from Mark Stoops came from. I don't know whether he truly believes he's at an NIL disadvantage. If he was trying to rally the troops... If he's frustrated with uh, the fans reaction to the game, I don't know exactly why he said what he said, but at the same time, I think it was a really bad look. I think it made him look bad. I think it made his program look bad. And I just think if he could, like, like, I just think it was a really bad look all around for Mark Stoops. And I don't think there's any defending it. First of all, let's just think about it at the most basic level. Okay. Okay. Mark Stoops going on his radio show, being asked about losing to Georgia and fans reaction. And he says, the first thing that comes to his mind, is says, well, you all have to pony up to get some better players. Well, you know who that makes look bad? You know who looks bad in that situation? Pretty much everybody. First off, the $8 million a year head coach probably needs to be a little bit better. I'm sorry. You get paid a lot of money. You need to put better, uh, better effort. But at the same time it looks especially bad because you're paid 8 million dollars and you are trying to place blame everywhere other than on your own shoulders, okay? It'd be one thing if Mark stoops and maybe he said this after the game on Saturday where it's one thing if you say I'm not we we weren't good enough at all. We weren't good enough as I wasn't good enough as a head coach, the assistants weren't good enough, the players weren't good enough. This was a total team effort, but it falls on my shoulders. That's the right way. That's how I would want my coach to handle it. But what Mark Stoops basically said was this, don't blame me. There was nothing I could do. Those 85 guys in that locker room aren't good enough. And I know he probably didn't mean it like that. And I'm sure there aren't a line of guys, uh, you know, ready to hand in their jerseys because they don't want to play for them because they got thrown under the bus. But that was basically what he just said. Those 85 dudes in my locker room aren't good enough. And it's like probably not the best message to send to your team. And I also don't think it's the best message to send to your fans. Again, it looks like you're trying to say, sorry, guys and girls, it's all your fault. Donate more money or we're never going to win. That's not what I want to hear as a fan coming out of that game. And I'll be blunt. That's especially not what I want to hear from my $8 million a year head coach. Listen, I can't speak to everyone's financial situation, but I uh, most people who give to these collectives aren't giving $100,000, $500,000 million donations. They're giving what they can because they love their football teams. Now, are there million dollar donations, five million dollar donations, two million dollar donations? Of course they are. But there's also hundred dollar donations, five hundred dollar donations, two hundred fifty dollar donations by people that just want to see their team succeed. So when I'm given two hundred dollars of my discretionary income that I really don't have because I want my football team to be good. I'm sorry, it does not look good for my $8 million a year head coach to say, well, you got to give more. And oh, by the way, Mark Stoops ain't giving back a, a penny of his money. And I know what everybody would say. Well, the coaches can't pay players. The coaches can't give money to collectives. I get that. I also think that if Mark Stoops quietly went to his AD, Mitch Barnhart, and said, Give me $6 million a year instead of eight and put everything else in the, like there are ways that it could be arranged, but nobody wants to hear that from their $8 million a year head football coach. And again, Mark Stoops is asking other people to give money. He ain't offering to give any back himself. And again, I understand it's against the rules. I understand he can't give to a collective, but I just think it looks incredibly bad from an $8 million a year head coach. I also think it looks bad to call out Georgia specifically in that manner, okay? Because at the end of the day, Georgia has the best team in college football, not because of NIL, but because of a number of different factors. And maybe NIL is one of them. Georgia does everything at an elite level. They recruit well, they develop well, they're putting guys in the NFL, their NFL guys are playing well, they practice well, they do, you go on and on down the list. Okay, I bring it up because this is not solely about NIL. If 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 Washington State or Purdue or Boston College had the number one team in the country with this roster, we could ask questions. I don't think asking, I don't think Georgia having this kind of roster is all that confusing. They have this roster because they win at a high level. They put dudes in the NFL. And yes, NIL is part of the puzzle, but Mark Stoops is acting like it's the only reason, and we all know that it's not. By the way, Georgia was recruiting at an elite level long before NIL. Just to make sure I looked it up. NIL came into place in 2021, the summer of 2021. Well, guess what? In the previous three recruiting cycles, many of those players still on the team. 2019, Georgia, the number two recruiting class in the country. 2020, Georgia, the number one recruiting class in the country. 2021, which was a smaller class, was only ranked number four in the country. So they've always recruited well. It's not about NIL. They're not getting all these guys solely because they're paying them more than anybody else. And again, it just makes you look bad. Finally, let me say a quick message to not only Mark Stoops, but any coach in college sports that is going to complain publicly or privately about NIO. I get that it's a new era. I get that your fans need to donate money for you to have success at the highest level. But what I can also tell you, I've worked in college sports for a long time. I have pretty good sources, pretty good contacts. And I have talked to two different donors at two different big-time SEC schools, neither of them Kentucky, so just let the record show, that are kind of burned out by getting hit up by everybody for money. And what I have noticed in college sports right now at this second, boosters, they're burned out because they're basically, they've been asked for years, help pay this coach's salary, um, You know, pay your, pay for your tickets, pay your donations, help with the buyouts, help with the assistant pools, help with these facilities. And I get there's money that comes from other places, but boosters and donors are expected to foot a lot of the bill. Now they are being asked to pay for the players on top of the coaches, the assistants, the salary pools, the facilities, the whatever. And they're getting kind of burned out. But at the same time, as long as you win, it's fine. And so that's my message to Mark Stoops. Be careful about being too public about asking for money because it all goes well as long as you're winning. But the second that you stop winning, a lot of those fans are going to sit there and say, now, wait a second. I listened to that radio show. You told me you needed more money. Well, I donated this. Well, I donated that. And we still aren't very good. And so what's your excuse, Coach Stoops? And I think that is going to be something to monitor in these college football coaching carousels and back at like whatever going forward. I believe that fans are going to increasingly become less patient with their coaches as time goes on, if that's even possible, because fans aren't patient at all. And that doesn't mean that Mark Stoops is on the hot seat or anything, but what it means is fans are giving more. They are being asked more of to donate to this, donate to that, give to this, give to that, help us pay NIL. And they want to see results. And so Mark Stoops, my advice is this. If this is your messaging, one, I don't love it because I think you kind of threw your own players under the bus, but two, you better win. Because if people are giving, 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 giving and they're seeing results like they saw on Saturday, they're not going to keep giving for very much longer. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. I do think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Appreciate your support. By the way, thank you again to DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game. Get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. Thank you again for your support. I will be back on Friday. Fun week ahead, fun show ahead. By the way, the college football betting show will be back Thursday. Make sure you subscribe to that as well. Shout out to Toronto. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Friday. New episode, Aaron Torres Pod. Anatomy of an ad.
0: Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect.
1: Define an opportunity.
0: Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now.
1: Identify a problem.